You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Are you all happy that it's bank holiday? It's good, isn't it, hey? Um, before we get stuck into uh, the rest of our uh, series in Philippians, let me just say that this week, small groups are uh, back on. We've had a little bit of a break for a few weeks, and uh, small groups start again uh, this week. So if you're part of a small group, um, why don't you bless your leaders by showing up and uh, just with a heart to uh, encourage them and to build up others in your group. And if you're not part of a small group, then come and speak to myself or to Hannah or anyone you've seen at the front here or anyone from the Connect team later on and just say, I'd love to get part of a small group. I want to know more and would love to help you to uh, get tied into one. So uh, they kick off this week. So we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 1 together, just finishing off Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 27 through to verse 30. And they're going to come up on the screen as well. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or if I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this letter to a church in Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And uh, the Apostle Paul, who um, wrote this letter, was one of the first church missionaries, I suppose. He was a, uh, a guy who was sent by Jesus to go and spread the news about him and to start churches wherever he went. And this is one such church that he'd started. And we know from the letter so far that Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome for simply speaking about Jesus. He's been put in prison. And uh, he was writing to this church in Philippi to encourage them. And the word here we see in verse 27 is only. And it's really the sudden change in the letter. Whereas until now he's been speaking about his own circumstances, he now turns to the Philippians themselves and says, only. It's a real uh, sudden shift of gear in the letting, saying, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We mustn't uh, miss the force of that word only, because Paul is really uh, considering that these could be his last words that he ever gives to the church at Philippi. He didn't know whether he was actually going to get to see them or not uh, ever again. He may well have felt that he was actually going to be executed after this prison sentence in Rome. And so uh, he wanted to make sure that they knew uh, what his wish was for them. And so he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I've called uh, today's message, Citizens of Heaven. So Paul is saying, I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to see you again. I'm not sure whether or not we're going to have a chance to speak in person. But whether I come or whether I, I'm not able to, I want to hear this one thing about you. I want to hear that you are living out a life that is worthy of the gospel. Now, in our English Bibles, it really doesn't do this um, verse justice because um, the New Testament was primarily written in Greek originally. And uh, in the original language, what Paul is saying here is exercise your citizenship worthily of the gospel of Christ. Later on in uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, he's, uh, he writes, our citizenship is in heaven. And he uses the same word here in the original Greek. You need to understand, um, if you didn't 
hear this in the first week when we looked at the context of this, that Philippi was a colony of Rome. And that was, that was good for the people of Philippi. It meant that they actually had the same rights as uh, Rome. They had the same laws. They had the, a lot of wealth. And it was actually a good thing for them to be a colony of Rome. We often have uh, you know, connotations to that word, a colony that actually um, Britain has colonized quite a lot of the world and has done quite a lot of damage in uh, years gone by, as well as some good, but also a lot of damage. And we can sometimes think of quite a negative connotation, but actually it was a good thing for the people of Philippi to actually be a, a colony of Rome. It meant they had rights and privileges um, that were theirs, that it was like they were actually living in Rome itself. And not everywhere that Rome conquered actually was made a colony. Sometimes the Romans just conquered and they were really quite oppressive. It was actually the case here that it was a good deal uh, for the church in Philippi, uh, for the citizens of Philippi. So we've got to bear in mind that they're citizens of Rome in, an, in a country that's quite far from Rome. And we've got to understand here, when Paul's saying, live out your citizenship in a way that's worthy of the gospel, he's really speaking here about their heavenly citizenship. Alec Matir, who's a commentator uh, writing about the book of Philippians, says this, Philippi was a Roman homeland in miniature, but grace had made them citizens of a heavenly city. He's talking here about the church in Philippi. Grace had made them citizens of a heavenly city. In their far-off land, they are the heavenly homeland in miniature. Heaven's laws are their laws, and their privileges its privileges. So Paul's saying here, With this in mind, live out your lives in Philippi as citizens of heaven. Now, for those of us who have grown up in this country, which is a fair few of us here, we probably don't realize it, but actually, we're not at home here. We might think that this country is a Christian country. We might look around and think we can see some familiar landmarks that might make us think that this is a Christian country. We might see uh, a bunch of church buildings. We might see uh, schools and hospitals that have... uh, got the names of saints in them, and we might look at institutions in this country which have been set up by Christians in centuries gone by, and uh, we see the Queen says some good things about Jesus at Christmas time, and uh, our Prime Minister from time to time says some things about Jesus, and we, we can sometimes be fooled into thinking that this is a Christian country, that actually, you know, we are at home here. The truth is far from that. We're actually not in a Christian country. We're not really at home. A friend of mine, um, a few years ago when I was at university, a friend of mine who's from um, Nairobi in Kenya, came over to study at Southampton University with me, and he had been led to believe that the UK was a Christian paradise, Uh, that everyone was very, very polite to each other, that everyone was very uh, good to each other, and uh, uh, there was no crime, and and so on. And we, in our first week, went and played football down the park. You obviously work very hard when you're a student. And I uh, went and played football down the park. And he left his boot bag, which contained his mobile phone and his wallet and his keys, on a be- the first bench that he found. And we went and played football about half a mile from where he, he left his boot bag. And uh, to his great surprise and horror, it was not there when we finished up playing football. And the poor guy had to get everything replaced, and it was a big, uh, a big hassle, really. He learned the hard way that, that Britain is really not the Christian paradise that he thought it was. We are not at home here. If we're Christians here, this isn't really our home. Our home is in heaven. And Paul wanted the people in Philippi to know that as well. This country is not a Christian country in the the sense that there are many values behind its governance and in the media and things we consume that really are far removed from the values of heaven. 
far, far removed. The Apostle John wrote in um, 1 John chapter 2, and verse 16, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's really encouraging to know that not a lot has changed in 2,000 years. Not a lot has changed. He's saying here, the things of the world are the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. It's exactly the same today. The cravings of our sinful flesh, we go after, we crave things, don't we? And in our culture, there's massive problems with obesity and with alcoholism and with uh, all sorts of things where we've just gone after whatever it is that our flesh desires. That we have this real value that, well, as long as you are not hurting anyone, just go after pleasure in a big way. Go after physical pleasure. And uh, we have a rise of you know, STDs and all kinds of things going on and pregnancies that aren't, uh, aren't planned and all this kind of stuff. We have this in our culture in a big way. The lust of the eyes, well, there's a huge problem with pornography uh, in this country. We've looked at that in previous weeks when we went for our Sex Etc. series. People uh, spend their time drooling over houses and cars that they can't afford and uh, get into all kinds of debt because they buy things they can't afford because they feel, I just have to have that stuff. That's the lust of the eyes. I see it, I want it, I'm going to have it. The, the whole thing of uh, boasting about what we have and we do, that's a huge deal in this country as well. This keeping up with the Joneses, this I must have these things so I can show things off so that people can see that I really have it all together. Things haven't changed in 2,000 years. These are values in the world. And I'm not saying these things to kind of look down at people and say, well, at least I'm not like that, because I am. And I get sucked into those things. And you do. You're no better than me and I'm no better than you. We are in a culture which really is not in line with the values of heaven. We are in a foreign territory here. We're not at home. We must remember this. In fact, if we're living for Jesus... As I said last week, if we're living for his glory in every area of our lives, we will be reminded of this, actually. Whether we like it or not, we will be reminded that this is not our home. There's active opposition to the advance of the good news of Jesus. There's active opposition to it in this country. Sometimes there's opposition for Christians that is as a result of Christians just being plain stupid, right? Sometimes Christians do and say stupid things and they get opposed rightfully. That happens. But often people who just want to live out a simple life of following Jesus can be opposed and can be ridiculed. And that is happening more and more. Uh, my own dad, who uh, worked in a factory for about 30 years, um, rose up into management in the factory, and his seniors, the, the people who managed him, would ask him to do things that he did not feel comfortable to do, you know, to lie to his staff and to uh, be creative with the truth, I suppose. And he refused to do it and got mocked for it. I know friends in this church who in their workplaces have been asked to do things which are, right, are just plain not right. And uh, when they've refused to do it, have been challenged and have been uh, mocked and have not had opportunities come their way. This happens. Sometimes when we're living out our citizenship as heavenly citizens, we will come into opposition because sometimes the values of this world are not in line with the values of heaven. And when that happens, we've got to choose living for Jesus. We've got to choose actually living out our lives as heavenly citizens, not as citizens of the UK when those things clash. I don't know about you, but um, when I have ever gone to the continent, if I've ever gone to France or Spain, I've always tried to 
do the language, okay? I don't know if you're like me. I, I try my best with these things. I'm not that good at things like um, uh, you know, maths and, and science. Uh, my, my strong point is probably languages, and I, I really enjoy uh, languages and trying them out. And no matter how much I think I've nailed it, people still know that I'm British. So I can walk into a shop and you know, try and order something, or into a bar and try and order a drink, whatever it might be, and try it in, I think it's the perfect Spanish or perfect French or whatever, and I get a response, that'll be three euros, please. In almost like, you know, flawless English. And you're like, how do you know that I'm British? And I might even be wearing clothes that, uh, you know, don't point out that I'm a massive tourist, you know, with shorts or whatever. Uh, it might be that I'm looking normal. I might be, I feel like I've, I'm fitting in here, and yet they know somehow. It would actually probably take years and years. It would probably take decades before I get to the point where people actually might respond to me in their own language. It, because... I just stand out as British. That happens, even if we think we can try our very best to blend in. Friends, when we live for Jesus, when we're following him, we will stand out sometimes. We will stick out like a sore thumb. Sometimes we will have opposition. Sometimes we'll have people thinking we're weird. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. We're going to look different because we bring with us values that are not of this world. We bring with us values that are heaven's values. If we're living for Jesus, that's what happens. Wherever we go, we bring with us values of heaven. The values of heaven are very different to the values of earth. We've looked at the things of this world. Really, they can be summarized by saying it's all about me. It's all about me. It's what I want, and I get it. And we're going to see next week, as we look at Philippians chapter 2, that actually Jesus shows us that the way of heaven is about considering others as more significant than ourselves of laying our lives down for others. Paul looks at the example of Jesus, who, although he was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped hold of, but actually took the form of a servant who laid down his life. That is, that's the way of heaven. That's the culture of heaven. That's the values of heaven. And it stands in quite stark contrast to the values of this world, where it's all about me and my needs and my wants. And people thinking, I'm great. So we will sometimes look different. We need to know that we are not at home. So my first question really today is, are you at home? Are you at home? If you're following Jesus, the answer is no. No matter what culture you live in, you're not at home. If I ask someone in Syria that question, if I asked a Christian in Syria or in Pakistan that question, they would say, Categorically, I am not at home here. My citizenship is in heaven. We can sometimes, because we see landmarks in our culture, we think, oh, that's familiar. Maybe this is a Christian country. Maybe I am at home here. We can be, be fooled into that. But actually, if we're Christians here, which many of us are, we're not, ultimately, this is not our home. And yes, we're to pray for this country. Yes, we're to seek its welfare. Yes, I, I so want this country to thrive and be a beacon of good things in this world. And I want England to win in the Euros in the summer. <laughs> and I want to pray for Ipswich. I want Ipswich to thrive. I want it to be a good town. I want people to like living here. I want good for it. But I must remember, I must call to mind that I'm ultimately not at home here. The people of Judah, when they were exiled into Babylon, God commands them to pray for the welfare, to seek the welfare of where they're living. They still knew they weren't ultimately at home. So we must remember, we're not at home here. We're citizens of heaven. And it's when we 
When we live out our lives as citizens of heaven, we will sometimes be opposed. Sometimes we'll come against opposition who would want to discredit the, the gospel of Jesus. And it's in those times we need to stand firm together. Paul here talks about standing firm. We're going to come on to that in just a moment. My second question really is, are we adorning the gospel of Jesus? Are we adorning the gospel? What do I mean by that? Well, Paul here talks about living out lives that are worthy of the gospel. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that we somehow pay God back for what he's done for us? Does he mean somehow that we, uh, you know, we live out a life so, so, in such a worthy way that God would then actually forgive us? No, he doesn't. Because categorically, everything we see in the New Testament is about the fact that we're saved by grace, and it's now in view of that grace and mercy that's been poured out in our lives that we live our lives for God. It's not about paying him back. It's not about earning salvation. It's actually about living lives that please him and glorify him and that we actually adorn the gospel. In, uh, in Titus chapter 2, Paul exhorts, uh, he talk, he's talking about slaves and masters. I think we could probably equate that today to employers and employees. And he says to the slaves, he says, don't steal from your masters, but show that you can be fully trusted so that you might adorn the message of Jesus, your Savior. So practically saying, through the way you live your life, through showing that you can be trusted, through living out your life in a way that is pleasing God, you will actually adorn the message of Jesus. To adorn something means to sort of wear something to show it off, to, to show its beauty. That is what we're to do with the gospel in our lives. We're to live lives that show that we really have received good news. When you've, when you've received really good news, people know it, right? People can see it in your face. They can see your smile. They can see you sort of bubbling within. They can see maybe you, you know, you're posting about it online, whatever it might be. People can see it. If you've seen someone who's won the lottery, when they've got their big novelty check and their you know, bottle of champagne, they look happy, right? And they probably will only last a little while, ultimately. But they look happy. You know they've received good news. We've received good news that really transcends all circumstances, and that when we really reflect on it, when we remind ourselves of it, we really will live in such a way that shows we are grateful and that we've received such good news. People will see it. It will adorn the gospel. It will be like we're showing off the beauty of this good news. The gospel literally means good news. I'm conscious that we often say things that people might think, what on earth does that mean? The gospel means literally good news. It's the good news of Jesus perfect life, that he came and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. The good news that he, on the cross, took our punishment, the punishment we deserve for the wrongdoing that we've done in our lives. He came and took that punishment. The good news that he didn't remain dead. He rose again. And now he's risen and reigning and he's calling a people together for himself and he's poured out his Holy Spirit. This is the good news. This is the good news. And it's like when we remind ourselves of the gospel, when we're reminded of actually how much we needed forgiving, we forget, don't we? We forget how bad we really were and how much we really needed God's forgiveness. We forget how holy God really is and how he demands perfection. But actually, he's made a way. We've sung about this morning. He's made a way for us to come into his presence. He's made a way for us to know him, to know him as Father. And so we've got to remind ourselves of the good news. We've got to be reminded of it. Paul's saying, let your life be lived out in a way that shows you have grasped the enormity of 
of the good news of the gospel. So my question is, are we showing off the gospel? Are we adorning the gospel in everyday life, in our workplaces, in our family, in our education, wherever it might be that we do, you know, for the vast majority of our time, are we adorning the gospel? Do people see in our lives that we've received such good news? And Paul says, whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul wants to hear that they're standing firm in one spirit and with one mind and not frightened by anything. Paul uses this phrase, standing firm, loads and loads of times in his letters. You see it come up again and again and again. Stand firm, be standing firm, be steadfast. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, he says, stand firm, let nothing move you. I think for him, what would have been in his mind would have been Roman soldiers standing together side by side, big shields, moving forwards, not being intimidated by their opposition, not leaving their post, whatever the pressure, whatever the intimidation, whatever the attack that was coming, not leaving their post. That's what he would have had in mind. For me, what comes to mind when I read about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, I think about rugby scrums and and guys in the pack just clinging together, going forward, not giving ground, taking ground, striving side by side, clinging on to each other. I don't know if, you're, if you know much about rugby, but the, the scrum is really important because actually it sets up uh, all of the kind of set plays and, and it's a way in which people can um, gain uh, territory on the pitch and it's, it's, it's of huge importance. And not a lot of people really know what goes on in the scrum, but my dad, who played rugby to quite a high level, would, would, would tell me often there was a lot of punches going on that you don't know about, a lot of kicking, a lot of gouging of eyes, all sorts of things going on in that scrum. But it was so, what's of great importance is that the guys, especially the front three, are gripping onto each other tightly. If they let go, then the scrum is weak, and it can be exploited, and then they can be pushed back. The gripping together tightly was, is of huge importance. Going forward together, striving together, side by side. There will be times where we are tempted to cave in. There will be times when we're tempted to compromise. Times when we're tempted to uh, do things which we know do not honour Jesus. There will be pressure. We'll have friends and colleagues and family members completely dumbfounded as to why on earth we're living for Jesus. Why on earth we're living for someone who we can't see. And there will be all sorts of pressure and mocking and all that kind of stuff. We need, we need to stand firm side by side, one in spirit. You might, you might see in your Bible that spirit is with a small s. Well, many commentators would believe actually that should be a spirit with a big s. Um, we maybe, maybe have translated it wrong. It should be spirit with a big s because it's the Holy Spirit. It's he himself who has brought us into community. It's he himself who has planted us in the church. And it's actually that we stand together because the Spirit has joined us together. I meet a lot of people who are very excited and um, thrilled about the work of God in their lives. You know, they know God's forgiven me. He's set me free from the things I was once a slave to. He's given me a bright hope and a future. He's adopted me into his family. And then not very excited about the fact that they're now joined into the church. In fact, that's really not a very exciting prospect at all for many people. And yet, we need to understand The good news is this. We have been joined into a body. God is is drawing for himself a people together from right across the world who will be eager to do what is good, eager to please him, eager to show off 
his goodness. He's drawing together a people for himself. And if you're a Christian here, you've been drawn into that. And that should excite you. You've been built together as living stones, we heard. You've been built together. The place where God would dwell by his presence. Where God's goodness will be seen in a way that it could not be seen if we were just individuals. We're so often led to individualism, aren't we? I'm going to go alone. I can do this alone. I can do this. We so often think we've got community when we really haven't. Oh, I'm part of the church Facebook group and I sometimes click like on a prayer request or whatever it might be. It's not community. It's not, I hate to break it to you. It's not community. Oh, but I stick around for 10 minutes after service and I have a coffee with you know, a couple of people and I might ask them a couple of questions about how their day's been or whatever it might be. That's not community. It's a, a very, very small beginning of it. It's a very small beginning of it and I love it and I love that we stick around and have coffee and chat and people pray together and all that kind of stuff. That's good, but it's only really the beginning of it. God wants us to be built together. He wants us to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Have in mind that, that rugby scrum. Have you, are, you, are you in the rugby scrum? Are you in the rugby scrum? Are you really in it? Are you dipping your toes in with the church? That's fine for a while. Are you really in the rugby scrum? Do you try and go it alone and then find, actually, I can't honour Jesus in my life because I, will just, I just keep banging, bumping into temptations. I keep coming across things which actually mean that I am going to cave in and I'm not going to honour him. What, what is it? For, are you in the rugby scrum? It's bad news in a, in a rugby match if a player gets sin-binned. You get, you know... Often for a bad tackle or from some sort of foul play, a player will get sin-binned, will have to leave the field for 10 minutes, and it's in that time, usually, when the opposition scores a lot of points because there's an overlap and there's, you know... In the scrum, if one of the forwards goes off, one of these guys who are tightly packed together, if one of those guys go off and they have to bring in one of the backs who are the kind of spindly guys who do a lot of the running, then it's bad news because suddenly the pack is no longer as strong And it's quite likely that one of the backs will not be trying quite as hard and pushing with quite as much effort and fervor and might. And usually the scrum will be overwhelmed and it will lead to points for the opposition in some way. It's so important that we, if we're part of this church here, or if you're visiting from another church and you're part of another church somewhere else, it's so important that we're really in the rugby scrum, that we really are tightly packed together. Do you know people well? Do you know people to the point where you can say, you know, if I had this crisis at four in the morning, I could ring them up and they'd be there. Now, I don't want you ringing me up at four in the morning. But if I know you really, really well, that's okay. <laughs> but do you know others in the church? Do you know, do you know people? And say, like, I'm going through this difficulty. I want you to stand with me in prayer. Well, I want to see this happen in my workplace. I want to see this person come to know Jesus, whatever it might be. Have you got people who you're genuinely in the scrum with? You're genuinely packing down tight with and holding on to tightly? If you haven't, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to live out your life as a citizen of heaven. You're going to struggle. Can I urge you? No one can really do it for you. We can help you. We can show you, um, you know, maybe a small group that you might want to join, or we can help you to get along to another event or group, or whatever it might be. But really, you have to do it for yourself. You have to. You have, you have to take responsibility and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to get to know these people, and I'm going to... I'm going to be vulnerable here. I'm going to actually get to know them. And I'm going to ask them how I can pray for them. And I'm going to ask them to pray for me. And I'm going to really build my life in with these people, whoever it might be. You have to do it. 
If you want to honour God in a foreign land, as it were, if you want to live for Jesus in a land that really isn't our home, it's, in, it's absolutely essential that we pack down together into the scrum. We will face suffering. We will face persecution. 1 Timothy 3 verse 12. Morris shared this, did he not, a couple of weeks ago. He said, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will face persecution. That's a guarantee. That's a nice promise for you. The one we've read together today, that actually it's been granted to the Philippians that they would have faith in Jesus, but they would also suffer for the sake of knowing Jesus. They'd also suffer because they know him. It flies in the face of prosperity teaching, doesn't it? This really ugly teaching that's spreading like wildfire throughout Christianity across the world, which says, if you do this, if you give a certain amount of your money uh, to the church or whoever it might be, then you will be healthy, wealthy and happy, that there will be never any trouble that will come your way. That is a false gospel. It's not true. We can see it in this passage right here, that there will be suffering sometimes, difficulty sometimes, and we need to understand that. And we need, in light of that, to pack down with others. We need to stand side by side, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It takes hard work. It sounds good, doesn't it? You might be sitting there thinking, yeah, I I agree with this. I agree. Yeah, Tom, I see this. But it's really hard work. Timothy Keller says, Everyone says they want community and deep friendship. However, because it takes accountability and commitment, we run the other way. We do, don't we? It takes hard work. It takes time. We're lazy. We can be individualists sometimes. We can think, I just want a bit of me time. I don't want to hang out with anyone. Actually, to really honor God and strive side by side for the gospel, we need to be in community, knowing people, being known. Disunity, it can break up churches. It can discredit the gospel advance in this church in Philippi, there was one of the reasons why Paul is writing to them, not just for their encouragement, is to also sort out a dispute between two ladies whose names I can't pronounce properly. Read it uh, as you read in your own time. He's trying to show them that actually they need to look out for each other's interests, to look out to, to ultimately treasure unity in the church so that the, the gospel can be seen more clearly. Because it doesn't, nothing discredits the gospel more than us saying, you know, Jesus loves you and he's, he's so good to us, he's forgiven us, and then we don't forgive and love others ourselves. Nothing discredits the gospel like not really adorning it, not really actually living out its powerful message. So we need to stand together. Are you in the rugby scrum? Are you united with other believers? Are you truly in community with others? Can I challenge you, if that's not the case, to make every effort to make that the case? We are in a battle. We're in a battle and we need to stand side by side in genuine community. We're living out our lives as citizens of heaven. We will stand out. Sometimes we'll be opposed. Sometimes we'll be mocked. So Paul thought that these could well be his last words. As he wrote these words to the church of Philippi, he thought this could well be his last words. He might well be executed after it. We know that he was released. We know that he was able to continue to uh, preach and start churches. His genuine last words that we have recorded in the Bible, we find in, in, in 2 Timothy. And he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, 
and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That, is, that was his, what we, his last recorded words. I've, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've run the race. And now I'm able to look forward to Jesus awarding me the crown. A crown that won't just be his, but a crown for anyone who loves the appearing of Jesus, who longs for the appearing of Jesus, who says, Jesus, I want, you to, I want to be with you. I want you to come back. That's for everyone who loves his appearing, that crown. We've got to look to that. We've got to look to the return to our genuine home, our genuine home in heaven with Jesus, to the crown that will be awarded to us. We need to bear that in mind, and then we'll be able to live our lives as citizens of heaven, striving side by side for the gospel. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.